Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Lord, I am so grateful to be the pastor of this church and that we study God's word with the double dippers on Thursday night. And Lord, I just pray that as we dig now into Hebrews chapter 11, that you would use each of these heroes of faith to challenge all of our lives. It amazes me what it took for Noah to build an ark when there was no rain. It amazes me, for over 300 years in a godless world, Enoch walked with you. And it amazes me, despite the opposition, Moses trusted your word and led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Your word is so powerful, God. Use it in our lives tonight. In Jesus' name. If you remember, it was a difficult time in the first century world if you were a Christian. Some of the Hebrew believers were departing the faith. And the reason they were departing is the difference of doctrine between Judaism and and Christianity. And so for the entire first nine chapters of the book of Hebrews, the writer is encouraging the the people that want to depart from the faith, why would you leave Jesus for something lesser? Why would you go to a high priest when you have a great high priest? And what they were decided to do was they decided, we learned in Hebrews chapter 6, was to compromise a little bit. To bring the doctrine of Judaism and the doctrine of this new faith in Jesus Christ we call Christianity to kind of compromise the two and mold them together into what the Jews believe and to what Christians believe and that's the doctrine that we're going to hold on to. But even in the 21st century, we need to be careful of being, not being guilty of doing the same thing. Because our culture now mocks many of the truths that we hold to. For example, we believe that God created the world in six days and in the seventh day he rested. We don't believe in millions of years of evolution. We believe what the Bible has to say. We believe that God created them male and female. And that what God has designed a person to be, he has a special purpose for that person as male or female. We believe that in all things pertaining to life, that the Bible is the moral authority of life. We believe that. But those that did in the first century world, much like what we're experiencing today, those that would not compromise their faith they were experiencing and facing persecution. It was severe. In Hebrews chapter 10, we learned that they had great struggles and great sufferings. 
They were publicly mocked as they were walking down the street, even by their own family members. The Bible says even in Hebrews chapter 10, their goods were plundered. Hebrews 13 tells us that some of them were even going to jail because of their faith. And the Christians are looking around going, wait a second, I thought if we came to Jesus, like everything was going to be great. But we're coming to Jesus and things aren't so great. Our family hates us. Our friends are going to jail because of their faith and people are robbing us left, right, and center. What's going on? They became discouraged. So the writer reminds them. In Hebrews chapter 10, you got need of endurance. You have need of endurance. And if you'll look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39, you have need of faith. We are not those who draw back to perdition. We don't quit. But of those who believe or those who have faith to the saving of the soul, we keep believing and we keep believing because we are Christians and Christians believe. He says, you have need of endurance and you have need of faith. And now in Hebrews chapter 11, we discussed last week, two weeks ago, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, verse 1, the evidence of things not seen, for by it, speaking of faith, by faith, the elders, speaking of the people he's about to communicate, obtained a good testimony. Do you see what the Bible says in Hebrews 11.1? Faith has substance. It has substance. Faith is substantial. It believes in the unseen, and the unseen is substantial. It is so substantial. It is so real. It is realer than the person that is sitting next to you or the seat that you're sitting on. It's substantial. You see, you need to understand that there is a material world. Go ahead and shake the person of the hand next to you. Go ahead and shake their hand. Go ahead. You can feel them. You can touch them. Say, hello, how are you? Say, pray for Pastor Chet. He's got a crick neck. Thank you. They're real. You can touch. You can see them. You can feel them as you reach out and shake their hand. You see, there is a material world, but there's also a spiritual world. There's angels in the room. And I'm not speaking about your two-year-old. The problem is we don't see them, so we doubt. The Bible makes it clear that we're going to entertain angels and not even be aware of it. Do you hear how silent it is? We're all freaking out. There's an angel in the room. <laughs> There's a material world, and there is a spiritual world that is even more substantial than the material world. You see, both are real. Just like there's a woman... And there's a woman that I love. You see, in the material world, I can prove there's a woman in my life. She's sitting right over there. Her name is Andrea. But I cannot prove to you that I love her because you can't see it. 
The only thing that you can see about the love that I have for Andrea is the evidence that I show it to you in its own reality. See, God has left evidence of his reality all around us. Though you can't see him, the evidence is there. It's Romans chapter 1. Take a look at the screen. For since the creation of the world, his invisible, you can't see him, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. My family and I, we went away for Thanksgiving. We drove away on Thanksgiving Day. We finally got there on Friday, and we celebrated Thanksgiving on Saturday. You know why? We don't care about days. We just care we're together. So we had fried turkey on Saturday. It was great. And on our way driving back, we took the mountain way looking at the Sierra Nevadas, and I was just amazed how anyone could drive through that area and say there is no God. And I wonder if there are pieces of the mountain that God will not allow any other human being to find. It's like his little piece. Just, if you look at the top of mountaintops, they've been so barely touched by the impact of sin in the world. It's one of the only places that sin has not had such a major impact because human beings can't get to it. It amazes me that you couldn't look at creation. In fact, do you know what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2? The Bible says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. God loves scientific minds. He wants us to find out the things that he created so that it points us directly to him. And if scientists were actually honest, they would see God in everything that they research. It's the glory of man to discover God in creation. And he says, listen, the faith is the substance of things hoped for, the spiritual world that you cannot see. There's evidence of it all around. It is substantial, and by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. These elders that we're going to talk about, and let's refer to them as heroes, these heroes of our faith, they received a good testimony. Now, let me tell you about a good testimony. It's Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. Take a look at the screen. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Now, some of us are struggling with that right now because, well, I won't tell you why we might struggle with that. It has something to do with taxes. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. How many of us will cheat the government so we can keep a few nickels? Don't raise your hand. It's on tape. I don't want any IRS official to find you. (laughs) A good name is better than riches. A good name. Proverbs 22 verse 1 tells us the value of a good name. Now look at Proverbs 22 verse 4. The Bible says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. God is letting us know where he finds real value, not in your portfolio, but in your testimony. And our heroes of faith, 
They feared the Lord. They did what God asked them to do, and their names are now written in Hebrews chapter 11. They have more riches, more honor, and more life, and none of you would ever believe that most of them were poorer than a church mouse. A good name. You see, these elders, these heroes, they believed in the spiritual world. And they believed that the spiritual world had more substance than the things that you can see, the car that you drive, the house that you live in. For them, the spiritual world, the streets of gold, the pearly gates, the opportunity to be in the city of God was more important to them than anything. My wife is famous. We have moved from Africa to Brazil to you name it, we've lived in a country. And you know what my wife always says? My wife always says, Abraham lived in tents and he was blessed of God. Doesn't matter where I live, just pitch the tent and there I am, I've got God. You see, there's where great riches are formed. You see, they believed I've got a city in heaven that's waiting for me. Take a look, I'm going to prove it to you. It's Hebrews chapter 11. Look what the Holy Spirit tells us in verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. These all died, speaking of our heroes, they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They saw them by faith. They were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Stop there if you would. Faith believes the promises. Faith believes the word of God even if you don't see it fulfilled in your lifetime. That's faith. And these heroes of faith, they confidently trusted in God's promises because God said it even though they didn't experience the promises themselves. They believed it. The Bible says they embraced. Would you take a look with this word here? He says they embraced these promises. This word, it's the same word that's a greeting that says peace to you. In other words, what he's trying to get across is they lived in peace. They didn't have anxiety about whether or not God fulfilled the promise. They had peace that God made the promise. And because God made the promise, they didn't need to see the fulfillment. They had their faith in God. So they had a peace that passes understanding because they trusted in God. That's how Paul was able to say, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. When you have faith, what are you worried about? Do you know that worry is a sin? How many of us worry? You worry about your children. You worry about, some people worry about their hair color. Some people worry about driving. Some people worry about, I worry all the time getting on 405. But listen, worry is a sin. Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow. And if we've got our faith in God, there's a peace that passes understanding that rules our hearts and our minds. 
The next thing he says about these guys, not only did they embrace them, they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Can I tell you that earth was not our hero's final destination? Heaven was home for them. So they lived like citizens of their homelands. I've told you before, I'm from the Bahamas. And as I get older, I get more and more Bahamian. I tried the American thing. I wanted to assimilate and be as American as I possibly could. But I'm finding as I get older, I'm reverting back to my Bahamian ways. It's just my homeland. So even though I'm living in the United States of America, my heart is in the Bahamas. It's better in the Bahamas. Someone came up to me and they said to me, well, I'm from Jamaica. And I said, I'm sorry. (laughs) Now, let me help you understand We live on earth, but our heart is in heaven because we're citizens of heaven and there's a dialect of heaven. There's a way you dress if you're a citizen from heaven. There's a way you act if you're a citizen from heaven. There's a way that you talk when you're a citizen from heaven. You've got an accent about you that's called love that when everyone hears or sees you, they go, they gotta be a citizen of heaven. I mean, look at the way they're behaving and acting and talking. They obviously know God. And so when we pray our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let me tell you, the original language would say on earth as it's already happening in heaven. I'm going to do what you would have me do on earth because I'm a citizen of heaven and your will is being happening, is happening in heaven, so I'm going to make your will happen here on earth. I'm a person of faith. So in Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 15, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have opportunity to return. In other words, These guys were not looking to go back to the earth. They were looking towards heaven. So now, verse 16, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. You prefer downtown L.A. over the Bel Air of heaven? Is there a place in the United States that would just make you happy? If you just moved there, like, life would be great. Can I tell you something? When you move there, don't tell them you're from California because they will come against you. In fact, I I went and visited a friend of mine in Montana the other day, uh, not the other day, over the summer, and we were fishing down a river, and he looked at me and goes, don't tell anyone you're from California. You know why? Do you know why? I don't. I don't know why. I... <laughs> we Californians are good people. I keep telling them, come to Calvary Chapel South Bay. You'll fall in love with Californians. Amen? Yeah. I love Californians. These guys, they trusted that God had a city for them. So Abraham didn't mind living in tents. They all followed whatever God told them to do because he was already their king. They set their minds on things above because they were already there in their minds. 
And so what the Bible calls them, take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, speaking about these heroes, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's our heroes, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Now, some people say that we've got a cloud of witnesses. We have people watching us from heaven. That, to me, would be purgatory. If I had to watch human beings from heaven, that would not be heaven. That would be miserable. So this is not saying that we've got a cloud of witnesses that are watching us, like, okay, oh, they made a mistake. Go tell Jesus. No, no, that's not what's happening. He's using a phrase, cloud, because he wants to help us understand that life is a vapor. That's all it is. That's what James calls it. And a cloud is just a vapor. In fact, have you ever been on a plane ride and you've gone through a cloud? It's rough. Clouds are rough to fly through. A lot of turbulence. It's called life. Thank God it's just a vapor. And what he's trying to get across is we've got a a group of people that have gone before us. They've lived their life. Life is just a vapor. And he says, now they're in eternity. And they're celebrating with God everything that they lived for. This great cloud of witnesses. The writer is about to take us, to introduce us to every single one of those lives. And we call Hebrews 11 the hall of faith. In this hall, we're going to hear the story from God's perspective of how they walked by faith. We're going to hear what God thinks of how you get a good name. Um, I, I love going to New York City about a day a year. I could never live there. And um, I like going to the, uh, the American Museum in New York City. And you walk up to this artifact or you walk up to this guy that's, you know, doing like this. And there's a little button. You press the button and then a little speaker comes out and tells you everything about this guy. Tells you everything about this woman. Tells you everything about this particular. All you got to do is press the button. What we're going to do in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to press the button and we're going to hear God tell us about the hero. We're going to hear God communicate what he thinks and what's going to happen with these witnesses. God's going to call 17 witnesses to the witness stand. And he's going to communicate to us what he thinks the walk of faith looks like. Would you take a look as we begin? Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to pick it up there in verse 3. Hebrews chapter 11, now verse 3, by faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. God created. That means he took from nothing and he made something. And this statement is the foundation of which each one of the witnesses that we're about to study, they stand on. This is the foundation. So just imagine, this is the entryway into the museum. This is the plaque that's on the wall. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. See, as Christians, we believe something. 
We believe that God spoke the world into existence because that's what he told us in the book of Genesis. We believe that. That's why Jesus was called the word, the word, because in the first century world, God was known as the word by those in the Jewish faith. It was a reference to God. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God has the power to do what he says that he's going to do. He's the word. So when God gives a promise, we can trust it's yes and amen. Because when God speaks something, he's got the power to make it happen. We also believe something else. We believe that though we didn't see creation happen. Now, I know some of you are seasoned saints. But you were not there, though you may feel it. You were not there when God was creating the ostrich. Because you would have had an argument about him. You would have an argument with him, just like Job. And God looked at him and goes, where were you when I was making the ostrich? I made a bird who cannot fly, but he can run faster than a horse. Who would have thought of that? You? <laughs> just think of what God is telling Job. Like, Job, are you serious? Are you questioning me? I made a bird that cannot fly, but he can run faster than a horse. I mean, think of what God created. I mean, when he was making the giraffe, what was he thinking? Let's just stretch the neck so you can get the tree. I mean, when, have you ever seen a manatee? I'm convinced that a manatee was leftover material. He went like this and threw it in the ocean. Where were you? But we believe that God created even though we weren't there. We believe that it happened the exact way that God told us it would happen. And what the writer is doing on this foundation as we walk into this hall of faith and we see this black, what he's doing is he's encouraging us to look backward about God in order to look forward about God. In other words, though we weren't there and we didn't see creation, we believe that God did it the way that he said that he would do it. So when God gives us a promise today, we can trust that he will do what he said that he will do. This is what Paul called walk by faith, not by sight. You ever have a problem making a decision? and you wish that there was a movie about your life so that you could watch the movie and just follow along. But that's not how God's called us to live. He's called us to walk by faith. That means that we don't see the movie and we just do what God tells us to do in his word. It means we trust more in the spiritual, substantial world than we do in the material it means when God told Abraham that I want you to get out of Ur, the Chaldeans, that you do it, even though you don't understand. It means when God tells Noah, build a boat in the middle of the dry ground and watch what happens, you build the boat. Because our hearts, our minds, our spirit, our soul are focused as citizens of heaven and that God's already our king, not on earth. This is how the witnesses, the writer is about to discuss, have a good testimony of God. God told them to do something, and they did it. Let's call our first witness to the stand. It's where we'll settle tonight. Let's call Abel. Come on up, Abel. Abel, 
come up to the witness stand. We're going to talk to you for just a little bit. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to press the button and hear what God has to say about Abel. By faith, pressing the button, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. So God said he was righteous. And through it, he being dead, ouch, still speaks. By faith, God says. We press the button and out of God's mouth, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. You see, Abel heard what God had to say about what kind of sacrifice he wanted, and Abel chose to do what God told him to do. So when God says, stay in the marriage, fight for your spouse, don't fight with your spouse, love her, respect him, when God says to you that a word from him for your marriage, you choose, like Abel, to do what God has told you to do, not the way you felt about it at the time. You see, God even made it clear that Abel was right. God testifying that the gift that he brought was righteous. It was the right gift. But Cain, Cain didn't. And the better way for us to understand this issue of Cain and Abel is to go to Genesis 4. Because what the author is doing, he's leaving out the whole story. He's assuming that we know a lot about Genesis chapter 4. So keep your finger here. Let's go all the way back. It's probably the first couple of pages of your Bible. Genesis chapter 4. And let's read the story that the author is referring to about our hero, Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Stop there if you would. Adam knew his wife. Husbands, wives, go ahead and hold your hands. Go ahead. It's going to be that moment. Go ahead. And if you're dating someone, do not hold their hand right now. Okay? <laughs> I'm watching all the young adults. That's why I had you raise your hand, okay? I'm, I'm checking it out. The Bible has a wonderful way to introduce us to intimacy. It's poetic. Adam knew his wife. Knowledge. Nowhere in the Bible is the word sex. Nowhere in the Bible is the word sex used to describe the gift that God has given married couples. It's never used. The word that's used is knowledge. It means to make known. It means to understand. It means to perceive. It means to reveal. It means to realize. Come to realization. You see, this is why intimacy... Now, young, young adults, listen. This is why intimacy is reserved for a married couple. It was meant to reveal and perceive your spouse in a way that no one else in the whole world would ever know. It's knowledge. 
And 10 out of 10 marriages that come in my office facing trouble, I ask them, did you engage in premarital sex? And 10 out of 10 will tell me yes. And this is what I say to them. Premarital sex before marriage, it's fun, it's exciting, it's an adventure. But it's rebellion. And the problem when you invest rebellion into a premarital relationship, you've actually discipled rebellion for your marriage. But rebellion in your marriage is not as exciting. It's not as adventurous. Because it's a wife who rebels against the Lord and refuses to submit to her husband. And it's a husband that rebels against the Lord and chooses not to love his wife. It looks great at the beginning. It's not so great at the end. And I will stop in the middle of the marital counseling. Have you ever asked God for forgiveness for the rebellion that you invested into your premarital relationship? And once that couple gets to the place of realizing that they wronged God, their perspective changes and they begin to see each other not in a rebellious light, but in I'm forgiven. She, he knew his wife, and she conceived Cain. Now, let me tell you what Cain means. Cain means possess, like a possession. Let me tell you what she was thinking. So Eve was just kicked out of the garden, Okay. She's had a real rough opportunity. She got pregnant, not knowing. Think of the first woman, Eve. She had no idea what was about to happen in nine months. Think as she is walking down the road. What did God say about pain and delivery? Adam, what did you do to me? Just imagine the moment. She never knew. There was no doctor. There was no, like, I mean, counseling. There was no, like, this is how you do it. There was no, like, lay down. There was no, like, what? This was, this was happening for the first time. And God told her, when you give birth, you're going to have pain. But she had no idea what the experience was. So she's walking down the road. Her and Adam are like, ooh, we got kicked out of the car. Boom, it happens. She gives birth to Cain, and it's a boy. Oh. <gasps> I felt the pain. There's the curse. But God also said that, oh my goodness, Adam, we give birth to a boy. God also said that out of my womb would come someone that would bruise the serpent's head. We're possessing the guy that's going to do it. It's Cain. Cain is going to get us back in the garden. His word, his name means we got him. He's ours. This is our A-team, and he's going to help us get back in the garden. It's Cain. Then the Bible says she gave birth to Abel. Do you know what Abel means? Eh. <laughs> Literally. Abel means, okay, and there's him too. Cain, I got him. And then there's Abel. Eh. The word means breath. It's like, huh. Can you imagine that's your name? Huh. Every time you came up to your mom, (sighs) think of the identity issue this guy had, okay? So you got Cain. (laughs) He is our all-star. Then you got Abel. (sighs) That's what he grew up with his whole life. Cain and Abel. Abel, he was a shepherd. Cain, he was a farmer. 
And you, you know, God don't have issue with farmers. It's not the issue. Take a look, Genesis chapter 4, now verse 3. And in the process of time, in other words, they came to age where now it was their responsibility. It came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. In other words, this is the Bible's way of saying Cain was throwing a temper tantrum. How many of you have raised children? You ever experienced a temper tantrum before? Aisle five. I know it well. You ever notice they put the cereal boxes that kids should not eat right where they can see them? Then you have to tell your kid no on aisle aisle chapter five. (laughs) Oh, that hurt my neck. On aisle five. That they can't have it. What do you mean I can't have it? And all of a sudden, the little demon starts to manifest that's out of them. Anyone ever been there? And then you're embarrassed. Like, you don't know what to do. I'm going to take you to the bathroom. Don't! And they're screaming, don't take me to the bathroom! And everyone knows what going to the bathroom means. Good night. See, God testifies that Abel's sacrifice was righteous. In other words, Abel Abel did what God asked him to do. Let me explain. Do you remember when Adam and Eve were coming out of the garden? They were naked, and they thought, let's put some fig leaves on. Fig leaves are very uncomfortable. Just want to let you know. Okay, they're not very comfortable, a little scratchy. So the Lord killed an animal, probably a lamb, and covered over Adam and Eve, and they literally walk out of the garden covered in blood. They, they literally had the blood and the skin of an animal over them as they're walking out of the garden. So many theologians believe that from that sacrifice, that what they would do is they would return to the gates of the garden and offer a sacrifice to the Lord. It was the beginning of a sacrificial system. And so we have an understanding that Abel was doing what God told him to do. It was like a constant reminder that God had covered over your sin. And God also testifies, though I respected Abel's offering, I didn't respect Cain's offering. In other words, Cain, you didn't do what I asked you to do. So Cain got angry and Cain got depressed. Something important to see here. The Bible links anger and depression. Now as a counselor, when I read that, anytime I meet an angry person, I try to find out what's going on that's sad in their life. And anytime I meet a sad person, I try to find out why they're, what got them angry. Because God connects sadness and anger together. So in Genesis chapter 4 now, would you take a look at verse 6? So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, in other words, if you do what I've asked you to do, will you not be accepted? 
And if you don't do well, if you do what you want to do, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Can I tell you God loves Cain? He's a good parent. So as a good parent, he sees that his son has thrown a temper tantrum. So he goes to Cain and he deals with it. Parents, listen up. Parents, listen. Don't ignore anger and sadness in your kids. Go to them. And what I find in today's world is that parents want to be friends. They don't want to be parents. Friendship will come when they're 30. Trust me, we're going through the 20s. It'll come when they're 30. I pray. Be a parent first and deal with issues. Don't be the friend. Now, I find that single moms and single dads struggle the most with this because they want to win their child over after they've walked through a, the, the experience of a divorce. You are still called to be the child's parent. They're not your friend. They'll become your friend. And it's important for parents to deal with issues that are going on in their child's life. Don't shy away from dealing with issues just to keep the peace in your house. Well, I don't wake him up for church on Sundays because all hell breaks loose if I'd wake him up at 8 o'clock. Let me tell you something. Wake him up. At 13 years old, when I and the lobby say, well, he's 13 now. I let him make his own decisions. You're making the worst mistake just to keep peace in your home. Because when they're 16 and they don't have the influence or the friends of the church and they're out doing their thing and you bring him to fix him, for me to fix him, it takes a long time. Listen, parents, be the parent in your home. Be the person like God who deals with issues. God purposed to deal with Cain's issue and as a parent, we should follow his example. Now, God deals with it with love. He says, if you do well... In other words, Cain knew what God desired from him. He desired an animal sacrifice, but Cain didn't do it. I'm going to worship you the way I want to worship you. I know the Bible says that I shouldn't be dating an unbeliever, but I'm going to do it anywhere because I believe in missionary dating. That's what I believe. And God, you'll be okay with it because they'll get saved or you'll get destroyed. You see, he knew what to do. He knew what was acceptable to God. But what Cain did was he came up with his own plan because he thought better. I'm a farmer, so you probably want squash and broccoli because of what I was able to produce. We've got to be careful of this. Giving God what we think he wants instead of what he tells us he wants. You see, Cain was religious. He showed up to church. Here's my offering but he gave what he wanted to give. You see, we got to be careful of this. We can come to church and we can come to church with a bad heart. We can come to church just because we've been in church and everyone sees a church and all of our friends are here. And you can follow the religion of coming to church every Sunday, but if you don't have a relationship with God, then God won't accept it. Without a relationship with God, it's just a religion. Cain was very religious. He was showing up every week with his fruit. And God says, that's not acceptable to me. 
So God warns Cain because he loves him. He warns Cain that if he doesn't deal with this issue, if he doesn't do life the way that I'm telling you to do it, it's going to end up controlling you. Sin is crouching at your door, Cain. Come on, man. I believe in you. Don't give in to it. It amazes me how many people think that they're in control of their little pet sin. I got this. It's the lie of the enemy. The lie of the enemy will always say you're the only one that can control this. I'll never forget, I was with a friend of mine and he was a chain smoker. He looked at me and he said, I got this. I can quit at any time. So I looked at him and I said, great, give me your pack of cigarettes right now. He broke out in an immediate sweat. He got anxiety. He couldn't even think. He, it was so beyond. I go, and you don't think it controls you? Let me tell you something. None of you drink coffee for a week. Oh, all the judgment people of the smoker, but you're okay with your caffeine. Some of you are sitting there thinking, go, I can't believe a pastor asked for a cigarette box and he wouldn't give him those cigarette people. But as soon as I mention caffeine, you see, we all think we're in control. Have you ever heard the term hangry? Hangry? You ever heard that term? You know why? Because your body is in control of your mood. And whenever you get hungry and you don't get fed, you're like Cain. I want food now. <laughs> Temper tantrum on aisle five. Chicharrones. <laughs> it's amazing to me how many people think they're in control. Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. Now Cain, take a look what happened. Now Cain talked with Abel, had a conversation with him, and it came to pass in the middle of this conversation when they were in the field. So he went to go visit Abel, that was keeping his sheep in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Excuse me? Cain goes to his brother to have a little brotherly conversation as Abel is watching his sheep, and Cain kills him. Stop there for just a minute. So Abel does what God wants him to do, and his reward is death. Something's wrong with this. I mean, Cain should, I mean, Abel should get like a house in Bel Air. I mean, he did what God told him to do. I mean, Abel should get like a brand new car. I mean, there should be a door prize behind door number three. I mean, Abel did what God wanted him to do, and he got killed for it. There seems to be a problem with that, a little dilemma. But this is the point of why he's a hero of faith. This is why he's communicating to the Hebrews there in the first century world. Because the Hebrews, they're facing the same problem from their brethren, the Jews. The Jews are killing them because of their faith. Doesn't seem fair. We trust in God and we get to suffer even unto death. I mean, what's up with blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted for my name's sake? What's up with that one? Because I don't feel so blessed. What is up with the whole we get persecuted and you want us to be happy about it? See, the writer is letting them know that what you're experiencing with your own brothers 
has been happening to the faithful since the beginning of the world. You're not experiencing anything new. Cain killed Abel. This is why we need faith and endurance. A faith that sees the spiritual more important than the material. An endurance that is on a journey towards heaven, not for what I can get from earth. This is why Jesus said, don't be afraid. Jesus said this, don't be afraid of those that can kill the body. Because he knew in our faith of Christianity, there would be those that are martyred for their faith. And true faith? True faith sees persecution and even martyrdom as a blessing simply because Jesus said it is. It doesn't depend on how you feel about it. This kind of faith believes what Jesus said and puts it into action no matter what they might face. Now, before we go back to Hebrews 11 and I finish, I got to finish the rest of the story. Would you take a look? The Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? Cain goes, I don't know, liar. Am I my brother's keeper? It's your fault, God. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you're cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Ever heard that from your kids? You're going to ground me for a week. No parent grounds their kid for a week. Surely, You've driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond. Yep, that's exactly what God said. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Now, can I remind you, the only people on the face of the earth were his brothers and sisters. And what he's saying is, is when they find out that I'm the one that killed my brother, they're all going to kill me. So the Lord says to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, I still love you, Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, a mark of love, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Cain is the typical adolescent. I don't know where my brother is. I didn't do it. And by the way, it's your fault anyway. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain's bitter. And bitterness defiles. Let me tell you what that means. Parents, listen. Bitterness will make you feel like you're doing something wrong. Your kids, they'll make you feel like it's your fault. You are the reason that I've done this wrong. You can't ground me. That's what bitterness does. It makes you feel like you've done something wrong when you haven't. But God doesn't engage with Cain. God gave him the opportunity to confess, and he doesn't, so God punishes him. Cain, my punishment is too hard for me. You're going to make me a vagabond. You're a mean God. Mean, mean, mean God. Cain wants to have a control battle with God. And God does not go into the control battle. Parents, listen. God does not enter the control battle with him. (laughs) 
he says to him, Yep, Cain, you're punished, but I love you. So I'm going to put this mark on you so that no one kills you, but you're still punished. Go to your room. He doesn't scream back, I'm not mean, you're a loser. He doesn't do that. You killed your brother, you're a murderer. God doesn't engage in the control battle. He's a good parent, he's our father. And I needed to finish the story, parents, because God has called you to be a parent. He's not called you to be a friend. Friendship will come. A friend will engage in the control battle. A parent will realize, I've got a responsibility to use this as an opportunity to disciple my child. That's all problems are with kids. It's God showing us we miss something and we need to disciple them. The kids in here are like, I'm never coming back. Don't be like Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. Go back with me to Hebrews, and here's where we close. Hebrews chapter, now with that story, let's just read it one more time. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. He did what God asked him to do, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God said, testifying of his gifts. In other words, what Cain brought was what I said to do. That's what righteous is, doing what God tells us to do. And through it, he being dead. Ooh, ooh, there's our problem. Abel was killed for doing what God told him to do. His life was taken from him for doing what was right. See, we have a problem with this because of our perspective of death. If we're living in the material, if we're living for the material, death cuts us off from what we value, our cars, our homes, our vacations. If we're living in the material, death actually cuts us off. But if we're living in the spiritual, death is just a butler that ushers us to heaven. That's all it is. It's all death is. It's an usher that takes us through the valley of shadow of death straight into the arms of Jesus. And the writer is purposing to get them from the material to the spiritual because people in their families are dying for their faith. But as well, we need to see the perspective of heaven. And through it, he being dead, take a look at verse 4, still speaks. His testimony of being right with God is something that no one could take away from Abel for all of eternity. Even Jesus would honor Abel and his testimony. It's Matthew 23, verse 35, that on you may come all the righteous people that did what I asked them to do, blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. The perspective of the world was Eve. Eh, it's Abel. The perspective of heaven eh, is a hero. He's a hero because he did what God asked him to do. Hey, church, though they take our life, true riches, true honor, and true life is found in having a good name with heaven, not with earth. See, long after we're gone, what will your testimony be? Do you remember Benedict Arnold? 
(laughs) Who wants to be known as the guy that betrayed our nation? But everyone knows him for his name. Or do you want to be Billy Graham, who brought our nation to Jesus? Here's the truth of Abel. Let your values lie with what God finds valuable at all costs. At all costs. So he writes these Hebrews and he says to them, Abel died doing what I asked him to do. And his testimony is still being used today to encourage you. Press on. Amen? I'm actually surprised anyone said amen to this because I find that the struggle that most of us have is we're clinging to the material. When the substantial is the spiritual. Our Father, I come before you in Jesus' name. So grateful for you. And I'm thankful for this Thursday night crew. Because Lord, every Thursday, no matter how it feels, they want to hear your truth. And Abel did what you asked him to do and he died. Because Abel wasn't looking for a reward on earth. His home was always in heaven. That's why he did what you asked him to do. So Lord, we have to all ask ourselves, where's our home? Where's our home? Give us the grace to live life your way. Jesus' name. Amen. So what do you find substantial? The Bible says our faith has substance. Cling to the spiritual. That way when they take the material, it won't bother you. You trust God. They're called the IRS. Amen. Would you stand with me? I just had to pay a tax bill. Obviously, it's on my heart. And I argued with them. I'm like, why do I have to pay this? I go, this should be covered. Mr. Lowe, it's not covered. Well, this is a lot of money. Well, you owe it. Well, God bless you. But I've got to use this as an illustration, so you're getting paid, okay? (laughs) No, listen. When they plundered them, He's trying to get their eyes focused on heaven. Satan is the ruler of this world, and let me tell you, he hates Christians. That's why God is giving us the instruction, get your mind on things above, that even if they take everything you've got, including your own life, you get heaven. Church, let's all stop clinging to the material. And let's start by worshiping Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. 
God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.